Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. I just want to encourage you, be looking for what the Lord is doing. Um, that's before I even preach. There's, there's a word that I feel like the Lord is saying is be very intentional with the intention of your eyesight and what you're looking for, what you're expecting. Um, I, I feel like the Lord says you'll, you'll get what you expect. And so if you look for disaster and things like that, it will be happy to show up at your front door. But I'm going to tell you this, even when trial or tribulation comes your way, when you're not expecting trial or tribulation, but you're expecting the hand of the Lord through the trial or tribulation, you will see the hand of a God where other people are actually seeing disaster. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so we have to position our hearts for expectation of what God's going to do because the world itself needs a church who is confidently hopeful in the Lord and what he's going to do. The Lord's not coming back to rescue his bride. The Lord has already sent his bride into the world in order that the world may be transformed. And so we have to position ourselves to be transformed so we can be agents of transformation everywhere we go. And what you expect is going to actually determine how you release. So what are you releasing in school? What are you releasing in your place of work? What are you releasing in the grocery store? It has to be this. My, my God is moving. My God is doing good things, right? If you put your eyes on that, I'm promising you right now, you're going to see the way he's moving right now. Scales will begin to fall off of people that you're with because suddenly they're going to see, right? There's multiple times in scripture where the father actually spoke and the people around just heard a rumbling thunder. Why? Because their ears and their heart were not attuned to the voice of the Father. And so all they heard was pending disaster because it's going to thought lightning on us. But those who were intimate with Jesus and intimate with the Father actually heard the Father speak and it brought hope inside of them. Do you hear what I'm saying? So we must be ones who don't hear thunder. We need to be the ones who hear the rumbling of the heart of the Father. So we can actually say, I've heard what the Father said and let me tell you what he's saying right now. Right? It's going to release hope into the generations, and so we just, we're really excited. Uh, one other thing before we do it, just we're, we've been in the series I just started called Prosper Like Jesus in All Things. Let me hear you say prosper, prosper. like Jesus in all things. And, and so as we're moving forward, we felt like the Lord says in a three-month period of time, the intentionality of us as a family examining the Word of God and examining the life of Jesus and how he prospered in everything. And, and sometimes that had to do with money, but 99% of the time it had nothing to do with money. It had to do with his mindset, it had to do with his heart, it had to do with his character, the way he prospered in his relationship with his father. And positioning that is going to position us to be a blessing to the nations. Um, I, pre- I preached a message, uh, I don't know when it was, a month or two ago, talking about prospering. And in this is the, the Jews of the day, they still today, they don't have the Messiah. Like, they missed the Messiah. They're going to get the Messiah at some point because Scripture talks about he's still come calling his, his bride Israel. There's going to be a moment where they actually realize the Messiah has, been, has already been here and they're going to be converted. But, but they have this expectation that they're the head and not the tail. They're above, they're not beneath. They're blessed in the city. They're blessed in their going. They're blessed in their coming. There's this mindset. There's this prosperous mindset that they have. And there's a reason that God continues to bless Israel and those who are actually called by his name in a very unique way. And they don't even have Jesus yet. How much more for us who actually have been born again and have the spirit of the risen Jesus living inside of us, should we live with a confident expectation? 
How much more does he want you to be the head and not the tail? How much more does he want you to be above and not beneath? How much does he want to bless you in your coming and your going when you go to the city and when you go to the countryside? How much more does he want to bless you? Because you actually have the one who's transformed you living inside of you. We must prosper. We must prosper in all things because the world needs a prospering bride. It's, it's the contrast of what the world has, which is despair, poverty, orphanhood, every other thing you can think of. And then there's the bride of Christ, which should be a, a gleaming light to the whole world. We're the city that's built on the hill, that the light shines, so the people are drawn in and go, that's what life is supposed to look like. And so often what happens is this, is we throw the baby out with the bathwater because we've seen negative examples of what it looks like. And the reality is, it's never supposed to look like those negative examples, right? We, we owe the world an authentic encounter with who Jesus is in your life. And where that begins is this, we must prosper in childlikeness because Jesus prospered in childlikeness. There's something about childlikeness. Let me hear you say childlikeness. It's not childishness. It's childlikeness. There's something about prospering and childlikeness that actually positions you to be able to become a king. Right? Uh, Proverbs says this. Uh, there's, there's several things the earth will actually shudder underneath, and one of them is when an orphan becomes a king. Why? Because when an orphan who... It's always about me. Everybody's out to get me. Uh, I don't have enough. I'll never have enough. Everybody hates me. Um, I've got to prove myself. All those different things. Gets the authority of a king. They actually use the authority of kingdom in order to be able to suppress and oppress other people because they have not settled inside their heart that they're actually a beloved child. So we have to come into this place of being trained up as a child so that when we're given the authority of kingship, and you, you've been given the authority of kingship, you're able to actually use it for his glory and not to prove that you actually belong. That's why sometimes, we, we, uh, there's been times even in my life as a pastor, the Lord had to deal with my orphan heart where I would make decisions as a pastor trying to lead people because I'm like, oh my gosh, what if they don't like me? What if they don't want to do this? What if they don't hear me right? What if I said it wrong? Uh. And the Lord's like, bro, it ain't about you. What did I give you? Who did I make you to be? Just be content in that. This, this role in this position of pastoring or ministering or apostolic ministry or being a saint in the world doing the work of the ministry has nothing to do with you earning the approval of the world. It has everything to do that you've already been granted and inherited the approval of the Father. And He's given you everything you need to live life and godliness. Everything that pertains to it is what the Scripture says. So that everything you can think of, everything you haven't even imagined yet that pertains to being godly and, and being okay, being a son or a daughter, He's already given that to you. And so being a child is a key and a step to being able to do that. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open up to three passages of Scripture. The first one would be this. It's going to be Hebrews chapter 5. Put a marker there. Hebrews chapter 5. And it's not too far from there. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Put a marker there. And then finally, Matthew chapter 18. And, we'll be, and you can leave it open at Matthew 18 because we'll get there in a second. So Hebrews 5, 1 Peter 1, Matthew chapter 
18. When you're the Matthew 18, say I'm there. Okay, I still got pages turning, so we'll give a moment. I love hearing the, the paper turning, it's so important. I'll just take what I tell you, read it, do it, become it, know it yourself. So Matthew chapter 18, we're going to pick up in verse 1, and it says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then he called a child to him and had him stand among them, saying, I assure you, unless you are converted, uh, another word for that is turn around and become like children, you will never enter. Let me hear you say never enter. It's not that you won't see it. You won't be able to enter it, the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one, listen to this, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest. What does childlikeness set you up to be? Great like your father. Now, this doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, you're the best thing since sliced bread and you can look down on everybody else. That's childishness. That's selfishness, that's immaturity. What this is saying is if you make yourself like a child who understands they never deserved anything in the first place, but what they carry is actually the name of their father and that's enough, you actually become great in the kingdom of heaven. This is why it says Jesus pointed to John the Baptist and says, John is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He's the greatest of the old covenant. But there's this, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. What is he pointing to? Those who become like a child will become greater than all the prophets who carried the words of God in an old covenant. There's something about this relationship. There's, a, there's something about submitting to the will of God. There's something about being able to, to know you're loved and rest in the fact that you're loved by Him that actually allows you to become great. Why? So that you can display the greatness of your Father. The point of greatness is so that you might become the image of the Great One so that the great I am can be demonstrated to the planet. When he created Adam and Eve, what did he create them in the image of? Himself. So when we get to the place and say, oh, I'm not great, I'm horrible, I'm bad, what am I doing? I'm actually bagging on the artist who made me. I'm actually coming to an agreement with a lie that the devil will be happy for you to be able to agree with. And he won't argue with you. And he'll even use some of your behavior to prove you right. But when we realize we're not the sum of our behaviors, we're actually the sum of his words about us. And we may not behave like we are created, right? But we have to come into this image like if I transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think into the image of him, you actually are made in the image of greatness. And this world needs to see greatness in a way that it's never seen before. Look what it says. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. How do we welcome each other? Not just Legacy Church. I mean, Cindy was right. You guys love each other really well. Y'all welcome one another. But I want you to hear this, Legacy. This is about a region. This is about a nation. This is about nations where there's body of Christ, people who don't worship like we do, who don't have the same style of music, same style of coloring, hair, whatever it may be, 
And yet, they're children like God, and we have to come into this place. It's not a denominational thing. It's like we are called. We are in the image of our Father, and together, when I see other children out there who are made in His image, I'm actually going to actually welcome them into my life. The world will know Him by our love for one another. And so when we move into this place of, and and this is not something you guys are doing, but I just feel like the Lord is saying it, um, when we move into backbiting and gossip and slander and all that stuff, what is it doing? We're actually denigrating the image of the Great One. And we need to make sure that we're really intentional in this. See, childlikeness at the time that Jesus was doing this, it was a, it was a Greco-Roman society. And, and so a child was actually not elevated. It was not actually appreciated or honored. The Jews certainly had an understanding about, child, about children, but it was much more about the, the father having a generational inheritance so it wasn't necessarily about the children. It was actually more about what am I passing on. And, and if I don't have a child to pass this on to, then I'm, my life is not fulfilled. So even the Jews had a misunderstanding of what children were supposed to be about. Right? They didn't understand that it wasn't just about what I passed them on to them, but about who do I make them to be to walk in the ways of God so that they will continue to show his ways and his imagery. And so when Jesus is saying this, he's actually saying something revolutionary. Because a child was what? Seen but not heard. Did what they were told without, you know, any opportunity for talk back. And listen to me. Certainly, there's something about obedience, right, as a child kind of going through that process. But what's the value that you place on children? And how are you raising them up to be great? Because we are not going to raise them up to be great if we have an expectation that they have to conform to our image, not his. Many times when we discipline, we're actually disciplining because I'm trying to make them look like me and not like him. Trust me, this morning I had to have a parenting moment, and the Lord challenged me on this. And I had to realize, what am I going to do in this moment right now? Is this about you being uncomfortable as a father, having a powerful, I'm not going to tell you which one because they're all amazing, (laughs) but having a powerful being who's growing into maturity? Are you uncomfortable because it's making you feel uncomfortable because they're not doing what you're saying? Or are you looking at him saying, that's not who your father made you to be. Let me show you what greatness looks like. It looks like humility. And how do I show you what humility looks like? I become humble. I become kind. I become caring. I demonstrate the life of the father and I discipline those that I love. So we can't be afraid of this because discipline helps to shape you into greatness. If you're going to work out, if you're going to diet or you're going to lift weights, you have to discipline yourself because you're actually crafting your body to come into an image. Amen? You know, bodybuilding doesn't just happen. You have to get to the gym. You have to be able to do the work. You have to be able to eat right. You have to be able to get enough water. You have to stretch. You have to do all those things. Why? Because there's a disciplining of yourself, a disciplining of your mind, a disciplining of your body in order to be able to craft your body into the image of something. That's natural stuff, y'all. How much more, when we're talking about the greatest thing that marks you, is not your physicality and it's not actually your mind, will, and emotions. It's actually you and the Spirit because you were created in the image of your Father and the Father is Spirit. And that Spirit is Spirit and truth, the truth of who He is. And so we're rising ourselves up. We're being created to look like our Father who is Spirit so that He can be seen in a physical form here on the earth. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so when Jesus begins to tell them this, 
the, the disciples are like, wait, what? The Pharisees are going like, wait, wait a minute. We don't value kids. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're supposed to be seen and not heard, Jesus, Rabbi. It starts to mess with their minds. And what he's doing, the kingdom is always contradictory to the ways of the world. The wisdom of God is not the wisdom of man. He's trying to give us an example. If you will become like this, what is a child like? Pure. They trust in God's character. There's a total dependency upon the Father. There's a unique ability to receive as a kid. I mean, like if we went right now, and look, right now, I want you to do this. I want you to take the image of a toddler who's tired, hungry, and, and thrown a fit. Put that on the shelf for a moment. Okay? Can we all do that? And I want you to go to the baseline joy and purity you see in a child. Hey, just come here. They don't question whether they're supposed to come. They're being called by their father or their mother. There's a trust of going, yes, yet you called me? I'm coming. They're not going to come to you if they don't trust you. Stranger danger is a thing for a reason because there's not a trust yet. But those who have had face-to-face encounters, there's, there's a joy center inside the brain. When you got that little baby and you're smiling and the baby smiles and th- there's things firing off inside the brain of that baby going, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm connected, I- I'm valuable, I'm whole. There's something doing and they make a connection with the one who's smiling at them. When's the last time you smiled at God? When's the last time you positioned yourself to realize he's smiling at you? I literally saw this in worship. Here's the God on his throne, and the angels are going. And then as you all begin to sing, he just kind of moved forward. And he's like, he was, I just saw tears in his eyes going, they get it. They get it. There's a joy in them because my joy is being made complete because they trust me. That's, That's what a child is like. There's a pure trust in the character of the Father. So what does it look like? You're not always going to understand why. You're not always going to understand the timing of what God's doing. But if you'll come like a child that says, I don't need to know that. All I know is you're good. I expect you, God, to be good. And then that is enough Sometimes people will say, that's just blind faith. No, no, no. I've actually seen the face of my father. I've actually heard his voice. I know he's good. It's not blind faith. It's informed faith. When I look beyond the one I know for answers and reasons, I've actually become blind. Because I'm looking for answers. Well, it's like that old country song. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? We all sang it. Maybe dance if you grew up in Texas. What's happening? I've become blind to love because I'm looking for it outside of who he is. My trust is being put in something that's in the world. I have to become childlike. So how do you return like that? You go back to this total dependency. There's a humility. Jesus said this, if you humble yourself like a child. What that saying is, is again, I'm helpless without you. True humility is this with the Lord. I can't breathe on my own. My heart doesn't beat on my own. I can't think on my own, right? There's this place. I exist because He wills it. I exist because He wills it and He wants it and He desires it. That's a very humbling thing when you get into the presence. The fear of the Lord is about awe and wonder for a being who created you and loved you. And yes, in a moment, let's just get over the fact that He could do this. And we're gone. 
He could, but he won't. You know why? That's inconsistent with his character. He's not waiting for you to screw up so he can send lightning to strike you down. He knows you will mess up. And he's waiting to send his spirit to bring conviction to your heart, to bring you back into, it's okay. The Holy Spirit, Father, we were made in. Righteousness. Back to the image of the Father we were made in. We have to become childlike. We have to humble ourselves. And there's no fear of the Father. We have to get over this fact that he's wanting to zap you down. That's actually not a true image. And there's something about children that are very truthful and honest. Have you ever found that? Don't ask a child a question if you really don't want the answer. I'll just be honest with you. There's probably a reason sometimes we don't bring a a child up here to say, tell us what's on your mind right now, you know, because you're going to find out about boogers and all kinds of other stuff that are going on. There's just just a truthfulness. If they've seen it, they've heard it, they're just going to repeat it. Well, let's translate that to the Father. Jesus did what? He, he said what he heard his father saying. He did what he saw his father doing. And so there was something about this. is like, of, of course, I'm going to be truthful on what you hear. I'm, I'm going to share the truth of who God is. It's this childlikeness. But I first have to tell that by my heart. Now let's talk about this real quick. Childlikeness is marked by boldness. Let me say it's marked by boldness. I, I, I'm not having you turn there. I've got you in other scriptures. But I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 8, verse 15 and 17. Uh, the New Living Translation. It says this, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, but instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. It literally means Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. And in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of glory. But hear this. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. And everybody said, boo. <laughs> we like the glory. We don't like the suffering. It does. Here, here's an interesting thing about this, and I'm going I'm to touch on it a little bit more in a second. But when it's talking about suffering, there's some things Jesus suffered that you don't have to suffer. It's not gonna, you don't have to suffer the agony of the cross. You don't have to suffer the agony of carrying your sin anymore and having to die for it. He did that once and for all, right? So we get in this mindset sometimes like this. Oh, I've got an illness or I have a disease or this injury happened. It must be the fathers just wanting to teach me a lesson because I was being bad. Now, look, look, let's just be, I'll be honest. Probably everyone at some point has had an inkling of that thought, now, if you've been in kingdom theology, you, you take, quickly take that thought captive into the obedience to Christ. But we just have to be real and honest with ourselves that sometimes we assign a characteristic to the Father. It's not actually in Him. It's actually the Father of lies. It's not the Father of truth. But God has a permissible will. He might not send it, but sometimes He'll allow things to take place. And it's in that moment I have to choose, am I going to suffer Or am I going to prosper? What I'm going to tell you is this. It says this. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the suffering of the cross. I want you to hear this. Hear what it says. For the what? The joy. 
That was the motivation. Jesus, it wasn't for the suffering that Jesus suffered the cross. It was for the joy. It was a mindset. It was a mentality where Jesus says this, I know my Father loves me. I know I'm on a mission. And I know my Father will get me through this thing. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. And so I'm not going to take on suffering as a badge of honor. And I'm not going to take on suffering as an identity. Let that resonate. I will not take on suffering as an identity. But for the joy of my Father, because I don't understand His timing and His plans, I might be suffering something right now, a trial, tribulation, an illness, an injury, whatever it may be. But I know this, He's good, and He will get me through this. And either I'll be healed on this side of the cross, or this, this side of the veil, or I'll be healed in heaven. But either way, I've already been healed. So therefore, what am I going to do? For the joy of my relationship with my Father, I'm going to come into this place and say, if I get to share in the glory of who He is, I get to share in the sufferings of being in this world right now. Paul said it this way, it'd be so much better for me to be there than here. But, and this is a paraphrase obviously, it's better for y'all that I remain here. Why? Because those who are going through suffering who have not seen the image of him yet need to see joy. They need to see hope. He's wanting to redeem a suffering world right now. And the only way that's going to happen is this. When we submit to the glory and the suffering of still being in this world. This is why the eschatology, which is a study of end times, where people are, are so ready for the rapture or, or him to come back or whatever form of it. Like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. I'm like, I hope not. Yeah. What are you talking about? I said, there's so many people that don't know him yet. I'm not responsible for when he comes back. He did not give me that responsibility or that knowledge. I'm not supposed to carry that knowledge, but I am called to carry the knowledge of him that actually would reach the suffering so they can come into prospering health. Prospering hope. Do you hear what I'm saying? So he'll come back, but man, we need to get a, a child who understands this is going. They're going to go, but, but daddy, that person's still suffering. Have you ever seen a child that has compassion that's untainted by the world? Like sometimes we become so complacent, we be, we've become numbed to the pain of the world. We're like, oh, that stinks. I don't know what to do with that, but I'm going to go on. I become numb to the pain rather than going, that's not right. Father, Father, what do, you, do you want me to do something? Or do you want me to pray? What do you want me to do? You come into the heart, the motivation. It's a childlikeness that may be marked by suffering. But you don't take on the identity of suffering. Even Paul, somebody threw this at me one time and says, well, Paul had the messenger sent by Satan. And I said, there you go, right there. You keep saying it was sent by God. No, God allowed a messenger by Satan. But it was sent by Satan to jack Paul and get him off course. And God goes, I can use that. I can take what the enemy meets for evil and I can use it for my good. And so for a season, the Lord allowed that thing to actually buffet God, uh, Paul. I mean, it came through working through, hey, there's pride rising up because Paul, you've been in the holiest of holies. You've stood there. You've been in the third heavens. You've seen things that most humans have never seen. And if, if you're not careful, you're going to become prideful and get your, hang your hat and your identity on the fact that you've seen angels. And your identity never came from the fact that you could see an angel or you could be in the third, third heaven throne room. Your identity comes from the fact that you're my child. 
But listen what happens. Paul writes to Timothy, and I've been delivered from every single attack of the enemy, even from the mouth of the lion. You know what that was? That thorn that had been there, he was delivered of that. Because Paul refused to get his identity from the thorn of his suffering. What did he tell you? But my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Return to humility. Father, I don't understand this. We pray it all the time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your your will be done. Humility. It's your will. It's your bill. And I'm going to receive your grace for this moment. But I have to become like a child in the middle of that. I have to return to innocence. And it's marked by boldness. Listen again what it says. When his spirit joins with our spirits, we can call him Abba Father. That's a bold thing. That's a presumptuous thing. The Jews hated Jesus, at least the Pharisees did, because they were equating the ability for Jesus to say, this is my Father. He's like, well, what does that make you then? Are Are you the Son of God? That's what they begin to draw the conclusion for. He's like, yes, I am, and that's my Father. And he was the firstborn among many new brethren, brothers and sisters, ones that would come after. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 4. You okay? Verse 1 says this, think of it this way. I love the New Living Translation sometimes. Sometimes I just need to change it. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set, which means you're in a process. Verse 3, and that's the way it is with us before. Let me hear you say before. About 30, if you got that. Let me hear you say before. before. Timing matters on this. This is the way we were before Christ came. Now, after Christ came, what are we? We were like children. We were slaves to the basic principles of this world. But then the right time came, and God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us. Let me hear you say freedom. He bought freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave. But you're God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. There's another scripture that says, uh, come boldly and enter into the throne of grace. Sometimes we get to this place of, how could I possibly, I'm a sinful man, entering into the throne of grace. See Jesus. He'll make you righteous. And then you can enter boldly into the throne of grace. It's not about deserving. We need to get this out of our vocabulary. I just don't deserve it. None of us did, but what's the facts as they are? Sovereign God sent his son to transform you into a righteous one. Get over yourself. You think you had anything to do with your salvation? You didn't. Do you think you can make yourself unholy? You can't. You're actually in his image. Now, what do you do? Shed those things off and get boldly into the throne of grace. Get to him. Get on his lap. Say, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy. Draw into his heart. You want to know why John was actually the one that Jesus trusted with his mother? Remember, we, we, we say, when Jesus was arrested, the disciples scattered. But at the cross, there's one disciple that's standing there with his mother. Who was it? It was John the Beloved. One who used to be John the Son of Thunder, who was ready to call lightning down from heaven because somebody t- talked smack about Jesus. 
They're gossiping about you, Jesus. What are we going to do? Can we call lightning down from heaven? Jesus doesn't correct the fact that he could call lightning down from heaven. Do you get that? If you're an heir of God, you have the capacity of God. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Like, I don't know what you want to do with that one. That's just like, I, 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 I get to do that? Really? But the question is, do you have the heart that could hold that authority and yet not utilize it? This is how John developed over the time of his life with Jesus to the point of the Last Supper. Where does John lay in his head? On Jesus' chest. Do you know that John um, in the Aramaic actually means one whom has seen mercy or has found mercy? There is something about a son of thunder who discovered mercy itself. And his heart became merciful, and he's laying his head. And now, John's sitting there. He's not afraid. He's standing there, and he's watching the one he loves being crucified. And yet, Jesus goes, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. John, Jesus had other brothers. But as the oldest brother, he got to a sign who got to take over for his mother. And what I'm telling you is this. When you come into this place of boldness into the throne of grace, it's going to transform you so you can actually care for the ones that Jesus cares for. You hear what I'm saying? God doesn't wish that any should perish, but all should come to eternal life. He says he's not slow as some consider slowness because he does not wish that any should perish. For God so loved a sinful world that he sent his one and only son, not to judge it, but to redeem it. Jesus is the image of God. You are John the Beloved. And Jesus is one to say this, world, behold my son. Son, behold my world. You'll never get there if you don't become childlike. Because your motives will remain pure. I don't want to do what my daddy wants to do. It's his will, not mine. Whatever you say, God, I'm with you. Whatever it costs, I don't care. I'm with you. I'm all in to this place. But you have to approach the throne room boldly. Look what a child also does. It uses the language of the Father. John 12, 49 through 50 says this. I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands, listen to this, I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I will say whatever the Father tells me to say. When you become childlike, you begin to repeat the words of your father. You've probably, you've, <laughs> probably in a negative example of this, I remember one time when one of my children was younger and um, I was driving down the road and somebody cut me off. This is a few years ago. They were younger. And I was like, son of a, complete the sentence. And, and I heard in the back, son of a, complete the sentence. So I'm like, shh, don't tell your mom, don't repeat that. Like, it was just like, the children are listening. So it's important for us to make sure we tell them what the father of truth says, not the father of lies. You hear what I'm saying? It's about the heart of the father. So when they begin to emulate what he's saying, why? Because they, we understand when I give you the words of Jesus, it leads to eternal life. No doubt, always it leads to eternal life. The other thing that a child does is it carries the culture of the family. 
It carries the culture of the family. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16 says this, So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. What is that? That's core values. That's a culture. When I show up, Jesus shows up with me, and the values of holiness enters into the room. The values of righteousness enters into the room. The values of a father who loves children enters into the room. The values of hope that actually brings hope to the hopeless enters into the room. Do you hear what I'm saying? The healer who heals the brokenhearted enters into the room. The healer who actually heals cancer enters into the room. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's the culture of heaven must be cultivated inside your heart. It must become this ecosystem that's in your heart. 2016, I don't know if I've shared this here, but 2016 I was in Singapore and they had this biodome where they actually have a full-fledged rainforest inside this biodome. And it's, I mean, it's tens of stories high. And when you walk into there, you enter into a rainforest, you enter into a different ecosphere. It's amazing to watch what happens in this. And so with the same thing, the Lord is wanting to create an ecosystem inside of your heart as a child that says, as my father thinks, I think. As my father feels, I feel. Do you hear what I'm saying? You don't always have to do ABC exactly like the father, but you must carry the heart of the father. He's not looking for clones. He's looking for children who are made in his image and who will become a unique expression of his ways and of his heart. And it's about carrying the culture of God's family into the world. You know, the answer to what's going on right now with the LGBTQ++ community is this. It's actually real authentic family and community. There's not real acceptance in that community. You know why? Because they're not actually a unified community. There's actually splintering that's taken place. But where are they going to turn to? You know, the Jesus People movement had a hard time with the early church, or the church in the 70s, is because the church is like, we well, don't like you, you don't smell like us, you don't, especially don't smell like us, you don't listen to the same music, you don't worship like us, there was a rejection. When Chuck Smith said, learn the lesson with Lonnie Frisbee, to be able to open it up and say, come on in, come into the family, there was, because here's, here's what the church was worried about, you're going to taint our culture. Well, then you're not born again. Let's just be real honest with you. In the old law, if a, if a uh, leper touched you, you became unclean. Through Jesus, you touch a leper, they become clean. What, why are we coming to agreement with the world that says the world can taint us? We need to change the way we think. We need to come back into childlikeness. I'm made in the image of my father. So now I can accept those who actually don't even look like me, don't smell like me, don't act like me. And I actually carry the agent of holiness on me that's actually going to bring them into righteousness. Do you hear what I'm saying? They'll come in one way, but they will be transformed in the culture of family. Now, let me tell you about the number one core value of being childlike. Outside of trust, you must be teachable and correctable. You must be teachable and correctable. When Jesus was a boy in the temple, I remember the story. They, uh, he was 12 years old. 
They go to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. They're, they're in a caravan going back home. Uh, especially the Jews travel together. The kids would always go to different, you know, families and whatnot, kind of traveling. They, they're, they're further down the road, and they realize, where's Jesus? Mary's like, have you seen him? No, have you seen him? I don't know where he's at. They go back to Jerusalem, and they find Jesus sitting in the temple, actually listening to and teaching the Pharisees and the, and the teachers of the law. And they come in, and this wasn't Mary going, son, we were so worried about you. What, mamas, what are you going to do? Oh, my God. I thought you were lost. Like, what, what happened? Are you, uh, is every hair still there? Like, in, that's what you do, right? Because you thought that, oh, <laughs> miracles are going to happen, Josh. <laughs> that's funny. So you got lost in the temple too? <laughs> that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. <laughs> Was Jesus the Son of God? Was He the Son of Man? So He was 100% God who laid down His divinity in order to become 100% like you and me, which meant this. He had to learn obedience. So He didn't argue with His mama. Well, Mom, you, y'all were left, and I'm about to be here. And, I'm about, and He even did say, well, you knew I'd need to be about my father's business. It wasn't a smart, ugly remark. It was a, a statement of, I came about my father's business. But then he came into alignment and says this. Then he obeyed Joseph and Mary. He learned obedience. He was teachable. So if the Son of God had to be teachable, what does that say about us? We, we have to have our hearts that are pliable and moldable at all times. It, it even says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, is that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, which means he grew older. He matured physically, mentally, and emotionally. And he grew in favor with both God and man. How does that happen? You have to be teachable. You won't grow in wisdom if you're not teachable. If you're not correctable, you can't actually, wisdom will do you no good. That's when you read through Proverbs. And, and I love the fact there's a lot of people will do a daily proverb of the day. And, and I, but Yet, like, there's no life transformation take place. And I asked one guy one time, he's like, I'm just frustrated. I read the Word of God. I read a proverb every single day. And I just, I just don't understand. My life is still going to hell. And I was like, when's the last time you were actually teachable? What do you mean? I said, reading it doesn't mean you're actually being taught by it. Humble yourself. Maybe this piece of scripture could speak to something that could actually transform the way I think so my life would actually be lived out differently. I have to be teachable. I have to be correctable. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 5. In fact, I had you mark that in your scripture, so go and open that up. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 7. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears, to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. You know what that is? His deep fear, his faith in God, reverence, awe. Even though Jesus was God's son, let me hear you say, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience. And here's the big and again, and from the things he suffered. And then interesting. He learned obedience, and he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who would obey him. God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But here's the point. I talked about suffering a moment ago. Suffering, again, 
is about you being able to come to place and saying, on my own, I don't got this thing. But in him, I got everything that I need. I need to be like Paul, whether I have a lot or little, right? Whether I've got a lot of praise coming or I have a lot of criticism coming or I have little praise. It doesn't matter. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because I've learned to come into this place of submitting and being teachable and letting the Lord actually walk me through a process that allows what Jesus became the, the high priest, but we're in the order of the high priest. You all understand this? So we're not just sons and daughters. We're not just a bride, and we're not just friends of God. We're also called to be priests in the, in the order of Jesus. So we are also made in the image of the high priest. Why? Because priests can actually go out there and, and bring uh, cleansing of the land, can bring hope in the land. It can actually take what the enemy's done to the land and actually reverse it. But if you're not willing to go to where they're suffering, You'll never bring cleansing. That's, that's why we can't just hang out in this four walls of the church and be happy. And, and look, hear me on this. Prayer changes things. Okay? Worship changes things. And going changes things. If all we ever do is spend our time in the prayer closet, but we never go to where they're suffering, we're actually holding out on those who are suffering. Because you might actually be the answer to the prayer that you lifted up. In fact, when Jesus says, hey, look out there. The field is ripe. The harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. What is this? He was telling them, and you're the answer to my prayer. So get out there, right? This is why you have to go into the world. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. You could flip over a few passages there. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who has ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means you're not, you're illegitimate. And you're not really his child at all. I'm going to say this. There's people who are born again who don't make themselves uh, teachable, correctable. They, they actually can't allow the father to discipline them. It, the father doesn't make you illegitimate. You become illegitimate in your prayers. You become illegitimate in your actions and your doing because you're not actually allowing the father to correct you. And you think that there's actually uh, a problem with God coming towards you. And it's no, no, no. Open your heart to receive the correction. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, don't let shame or... That's, that's said with no shame, guilt, or condemnation. If that's been where you've been at, where you've been like, I just haven't been teachable, I'm incorrectable, but I want to get back there. Here's the quick thing you do. Run back to Jesus. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. What was that verse I said? Enter boldly into the throne of what? Grace. Grace is not just unmerited favor. It's the empowering agent of God that allows you to become what he's created you to be. You can try to do things outside of grace, and they'll be unfruitful. But when the moment you become underneath the grace of God, so all of a sudden everything changes. And so I'll tell you, today might be the day where like I've been struggling with this old pattern or this old behavior or this thought or this belief system. And what I'm going to tell you is we're going to have altar ministry team up here that wants to come into agreement with the grace of God for you. 
No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. They're going to say, come boldly to the throne of grace so we can actually lay hands on you and bless you. Pray with you. Release the Father's love over you. It says, verse 9, Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. And by the way, I have to apologize to my kids all the time saying, I got three chances because we have three kids here on the earth and I've experimented with each of them. (laughs) And so says every parent in the room. They didn't come with an instruction manual. I did the best I knew how to do and I screwed up at times, (laughs) right? So there's times I've had to humble myself and say, yep, got that one wrong. But here's what I tell you. If you had a poor parent, stop blaming the poorness of your life on the poor parent come into alignment says they did the best they could with what they knew. Now I'm going to release forgiveness and I'm going to step into it. But I have a father who's never got it wrong. And I've got an older brother. See, if you had siblings that jacked with you, time to forgive your siblings because you have an older sibling, Jesus, who's standing at the right hand of the father, interceding for you with the father saying, hey, father, yeah, they're good people. I I died for them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Come into that. And if you had a mama that you just did, really had a hard time with, let me tell you what. You've got the Spirit of God live inside of you, and it's time to forgive your mothers and come into allow, and allow the Holy Spirit to mother you. That's a free sozo for you right there. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. You hear that? God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. See, His, his discipline is never because you're behaving wrongly. He's trying to reveal His holiness in you and through you and to you. No discipline's enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees and mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Here's what also marks the life of the child, childlikeness. It's happy obedience. It's not grudging compliance. It's happy obedience. It's not grudging compliance because you're imitating the Father. John chapter 5, I quoted it earlier, but I'll just go ahead and read it. Verse 19 and 20, John 5, 19 through 20. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the father will show him, listen to this, how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. Happy obedience leads to actually greater works. Teachability leads to greater works. And finally, last one, it's going to end with it. John chapter 15, verse 9. I've got a few scriptures I want to read for you. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. So remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Let me hear you say remain. Which means this. You never move from the place of his heart. You remain in that place where your beloved identity. 
God never moves away from you, but you can move your heart away from him. And when you come back into this place, you realize, oh, his love is always there for me. It actually secures me. It puts me in a safe place. Even imagine this, the shipping of uh, like a precious vase. And, and how are you going to pack up that vase, right? You're going to wrap it in bubble wrap. You're going to do all these things. You might even put it inside of a, a, a cargo wood container. Because why? You want to be able to secure it wherever it's going. And in the same way, if you remain in the place of beloved identity, if you remain in the place as a beloved son, a childlikeness in that place, what God does is he actually secures your heart like he's doing this. And so wherever you go, your heart's actually protected, which means you don't have to actually protect yourself. which is different from boundaries, by the way. For the father loves the son, shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you'll be truly astonished. Oh, I just read that. John, sorry, John 15, 9. I loved you even as as my father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that your joy, you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Let me read that again. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, that your joy would be overflowing. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. At that time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the, what? Childlike. Let me hear you say childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. So somebody is saying, well, why does he like childlikeness? It's his gig. It's not mine. He chose to give the childlike something. So how about we just make ourselves childlike and stop complaining? John 17, 13. Now I'm coming to you. I've told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with what? My joy. And finally, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Why don't you stand up with me? I'm going to go ahead and ask our altar ministry team to go ahead and come on up while I'm praying. Why don't you just get in a position where you can just hear the Lord receive. If that means closing your eyes, close your eyes. But really position yourself. So ask this question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Just take a moment and listen. There may be some of you in the room right now as you ask that question. And you're really sure what you heard. See, the invitation of this message is to become childlike, but in order to become childlike, you first have to become God's child. The only way to become a child of God is you're born again in Christ Jesus. So if you've never been born again, you've never given your life wholly to Him, 
there's a grace in the room right now for you to say yes to the Father who created you and the Savior who saved you and the Holy Spirit who's going to empower you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and you believe in your heart that the Holy Spirit was raised Jesus from the dead by the Father, then you will be saved. So whether you're watching online right now, you're here present. Will you give your life to Jesus? Become his child and enter into a life that will actually transform everything about you so you can prosper in the way you were created. Lord, we just say, come and have your way this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, even in the beginning of worship, there was this something about how you, you've, you've rescued us out of Egypt. You've rescued us out of sin and darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your dear son, Jesus, so that we may be adopted as your sons and your daughters. And I pray, Lord, for an easy grace to begin to move through the room, just a peaceful grace that makes people whole right now. We just release right now joy. Release right now hope. And Lord, we make a decision today that we will be teachable. We will look to you to see what you're saying. We will look to you to see what you're doing. We will, we will embrace a total trust in you, God. So right now, we lay aside every right we had to say how our lives were supposed to go. And we surrender that to you to say, what's your will for my life? And that I will trust. So just come, Holy Spirit. And we declare this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people say, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.